I invite your attention to Genesis 3 for a message. Genesis 3. I, heard, I remember hearing a story about a little boy and a little girl. We'll call them Johnny and Susie. And they went to Grandma's house for a week, I think it was. And Johnny took his little slingshot along and he became a pretty good shot. And he noticed that one day his grandmother's duck was across the pond. So he took his slingshot and he thought, you know what, we'll just give it a scare. There's only one in a hundred chances that I'll even get close to that duck. And he took his slingshot and got a little stone and took a shot and guess what? Right on the head. And the duck died. And Johnny said, that's a problem. Grandma's duck. Two options, own up, cover it up. He chose two. Went over to the pond, looked around, thought nobody was looking, threw it away, on with life. He didn't know his little sister was watching, and his little sister saw it. And for a whole week, his little sister terrorized him with that and basically got him to do anything she wanted. Whenever he said no, his sister said, remember the duck, I'll tell Grandma. And so little Susie got him to do the chores and wash the dishes and every good thing, and he was working because she had a handle on him. I'll tell Grandma. Finally, he said, this is ridiculous. I can't handle this anymore, I'm a slave. She, he goes to Grandma and he says, Grandma, you know that duck that disappeared? It was me. And to Johnny's surprise, Grandma just took him in her arms and said, I was wondering how long you would wait to tell me because I saw it too. And I just couldn't believe you allowed your sister to do what she did for three days. And then her sister tried it one more time. And he was free. This is not going to work. I like that story. I love that story. I used, have I used that story often. I try to remember. I probably used it here, but I plan to share it till the day I die because it's a, it's a story that has just resonated with me. What I like to do is I like to take that story and make a full circle. And I like to come back at the conclusion of the message. And I want you to, I want you to feel the heart of the grandmother in the heart of God. The heart of God is... In Genesis 3, I, we're, gonna hear, we're gonna see God say to Adam, where, where are you, Adam? Where are you at? With Adam's best interest in mind. Some of you remember the Valiant Man uh, series that we went through. I'm try, I was trying to remember if it was last, last year, 2019 maybe. I don't know, about 20 or 30 of us would gather and, and uh, we watched a, a series on, it was, it was focused on moral purity. So we'd watch a, a session on it and then break up into small groups. And then we had specific questions that, that related to each, each session. And it's, it, was, it's, it was just a good time for the most part, just a, a good time for men to be men and share exactly where we're at. 
Actually, maybe there's more than I'm aware of, but uh, I know the, the series, our, 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 our series concluded maybe three months after we started or two months, I forget exactly the time, but, uh, and we didn't necessarily meet like that, but uh, I, I'm guessing there's still some, some of that going on, congregation this size, I hope so. Uh, in fact, in the group that I was in, one young man said, let's, let's just keep on. And so to this day, we, first of every month, we, where, where are we at? How's it going? And it's a, it's a very healthy exercise. Recently, one, one of the men said, it'd be good if every, every person in the church would do this. I'd like to throw that out. It does nothing. I think we have to uh, organize and make sure everybody's in a group. But there's something about accountability that is extremely healthy. If you're struggling and have no accountability, your chances of continuing the struggle are going to be really increased. If you have accountability, and we, we all have accountability, don't get me wrong, the ultimate accountability. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It is appointed once to, for man to die, then the judgment. That's the ultimate accountability. But there's just something really healthy about uh, accountability. And I think that's the principle woven into a council service. Maybe it's not once a month like I would encourage. Or, or if, if somebody has a struggle once a week, even once a day, if the, if the struggles are intense... But for second, for uh, maybe second best in an accountability group, I think the, the, the principle behind a council is, is simple accountability, where we, you know, the scripture doesn't instruct us to examine ourselves. And that's what council really is. It's not about examining each other. Nobody examines you, and we don't, it's, a, it's an honor system where you simply have the opportunity to express where am I at? Where am I at with God? And where am I at with, with my brother? And that's the two questions that, the first two questions that, that are on the, uh, the, the paper council. So I think it's, I, personally I think it's a blessing. I know I've been at a congregation where somebody got really vocal, it's pretty far from here, so somebody got really vocal about this crazy system, What's the point? Make it a police this communion service. And I, it was in a Sunday school lesson. I'm there, ooh, ooh, I just didn't. You know, you could feel, you, somehow you feel the spirit. And lo and behold, the pastor, I learned through the week that the pastor had a tremendous burden for that man. And the children were leaving the faith one after the other after the other. So I just like to promote accountability. And in this message, that's the purpose of the beauty of accountability and ultimately honesty with, uh, with God and, and each other. So join me in Genesis chapter 3, a very familiar passage, very foundational passage. Probably the first question that God ever asked a human being in Genesis 3 verse 9, the Lord God called unto Adam and said, where art thou? So I'm going to title the message, where are you? Where am I? And honestly, where are you? I ask God a, for a small favor. 
and a specific favor. And my prayer to God was just somehow, I can't, but God can make it personal to what, 200 people. And I just, in fact, let's pray and ask God again. Father, your word is so powerful, so pointed, even able to divide asunder soul and spirit, which we don't fully understand, but my prayer is that your gentle Holy Spirit would make this message very personal to all of us. That's going to require a a power from you to keep the distractions away from the enemy. He's a liar. He's a thief. He hates this truth. So speak to our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen. Genesis 3. What I'm going to do is I'm going to back up and work my way up to this this verse. I'm going to do it real quickly. I'm going to break this section down into four points, and the four points are the uh, enemy, his strategy, the tragedy, and the rescue. So that's just kind of a, if you want an outline of uh, how we're going to approach this passage, let's just walk through it real quickly. Look at verse one. Now the subtle was more, I'm sorry, now the serpent was more subtle than the beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto woman, yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden. Let's just stop there. And the first point is the enemy. And this one's really, really short, but really, really important. Are you aware, am I aware that I have an enemy and you have an enemy? You you got that? You have an enemy. There is someone out for you. You're the target. And he's smart. And we're not. In this passage, I don't, if, I, if we wouldn't know the whole book, the whole story, we wouldn't get it. We'd miss him because we read the serpent and he was subtle. That tells me something about my enemy. He's going to disguise himself whenever he can. In fact, he will come as an angel of light. Our enemy has the ability to transform himself into a spiritual sounding person, an angel of light. An enemy. I have an enemy, you have an enemy. So that's a very simple but very important point. I can hardly identify him, but with the rest of Scripture, we, have, we, we nailed it. He is, the, he is Satan. He's the devil. He's a murderer. He's a dragon. He's a roaring lion. He's a, the prince of this world. He's the god of this age. He's the ruler of this world's system. I'm giving you some verbatim quotes of who he is. He's a liar. He's a father of all lies. He's a deceiver. He's a source of all evil. That's just the way it is. The enemy. Now, secondly, let's look at his strategy. And I do believe that his strategy has not changed a bit. What we're going to read and walk through here is the exact method that he's going to use on you, And every other person you know, here's his strategy. Here's how he works. It says, I'm going to read verses 2 through 5. Well, first of all, we should include the end of verse 1. He came and he told, he asked asked Eve, Hath God said you cannot eat of the tree of the garden? 
And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God had said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, then shall your eyes be opened, and you shall be as God's knowing good and evil. And I'm going to stop there just before Eve reaches out and takes the, takes the fruit. I see, I, I see a few steps that I want to highlight. The first one we kind of already talked about. He disguises himself. I do not believe Satan will ever come to you and say, this is me. I'm here to test you. This is a test. He, he, he's not an originator. He's a very clever imitator. He disguises his true character even to uh, masquerading as the angel of, of light. I wish Eve would have just been shocked by his presence, but she was not. If, and here comes a voice, half God said, time out. That's another voice, because the voice recognizes that half God said, just Eve, just stop and cry, keep the voice. But she didn't. And to me, it's a very sobering reality to critique the voices. Critique them. So the first point in the strategy is he disguises himself. Secondly, question God. Hath God said right there, Eve should have stopped. and uh, Meeting adjourned. Done. Whenever God is questioned... Whenever truth that you are so sure of is questioned, from there on out, be careful. Be very careful. If only the whole subject would have been, who are you? What, 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 tell me about you. But, yea, hath God said, just kind of took a seed in Eve's heart. And I would interpret that question to mean kind of like this. You mean God said you can't eat the tree? Really? <laughs> Look at it. It's, you, you have a law that says don't eat it? Give me a, give me a reason. If God loves you, he'd be more generous. That, that's the tones that I hear behind the question. God's holding out on you. You're, you're being, you can't be you. You can't, you can't express yourself the way you should express yourself. Then Eve says, well, we may eat of the fruit of the tree. And she says, God said, if we even touch it, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And, and I'm not going to take a lot of time, but sometime take, sometime do a comparison. And on the, on the left, uh, put God's verbatim words, what God said, and, what, and on the right, put 
what Eve, how Eve quoted God. And maybe they're not a big deal, but I find three fairly large inconsistencies. I mean, the first one is in the garden, God told Eve, you may freely eat of the garden. And then for some reason, Eve sliced out a word, and it was the word freely. And you read it, and it says, Eve told the devil, yeah, God said, we may eat. No, 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 no. God said, you may freely eat. See, maybe little, but I think it's hacking away at the generosity of God. And then secondly, Eve said, Eve actually added to what God said. God never said, don't touch it. Well, that would be common sense, I believe, but... For some reason, Eve wanted to add that in quoting God back to Satan. And he said, she said, God said, don't touch it. See, I think Eve's playing right into his hand or his tactic and making God look like a, a God that isn't generous, that isn't loving, isn't as free as he really is. And, and maybe this is the biggest one. God said, if you eat of it, you shall surely die. And Eve comes along and says, lest you die. Maybe it's a translation issue. To me, it's a possibility versus an absolute. God said, you eat it, you will surely die. Eve says, lest you die. Now, Satan liked what he heard. And he said to the woman in verse 4, and this is, a, this is incredible. He quotes God verbatim, but in the converse. He's, the serpent said, you shall not surely die. God said, you shall surely die. Isn't that amazing? And that's exactly what happens when we entertain Satan's voices. He'll, he won't come across with the, you shall blatantly defy God until, those, until that, all, that all happens in the mind. And we've, we've questioned God and we've, uh, maybe it's just, maybe God just isn't who I thought he was or think he is. And, and then, so first of all, we're talking about the strategy, disguising himself, Satan. He questions God. And then thirdly, he denies God's word. And we already said it. It's a direct contradiction to what God said. Direct contradiction. Thou shalt not surely die versus God said you will surely die. And that, that uh, the deception is now conceiving. And it's working. Satan's strategy is working. And let me just stop here a minute and say, uh, I don't know exactly how long this process took. I don't know. In your imagination, what do you think? Is this a, a five-minute thing? Do you think it took an hour? A day? This I know. Sometimes you observe this process we just talked about. Sometimes it you'll see it in a day. Did you ever see somebody make a rash decision in one day? Did you ever see somebody take a 
a, a week? Most times, I'm going to suggest it's a, it's a five to ten year window to bring, for Satan to bring a person from the questioning to blatantly saying exactly what God, contradicting God. And oftentimes it's spiritualized. That's the scary part. Verse 5, God's, uh, Satan substitutes his own lie. Do you remember how Satan fell? Satan fell because he said, I will be like the Most High. He even said it in his heart. I don't think he made a declaration to the angels and said, yo, attention, I will be like the Most High. He said it in his heart. He said, I will be like the Most High. Isaiah, what is it, 14? We, we can read exactly how Satan became Satan. He was a created angel, created for the glory of God, and he decided, he, he, he decided to be as God. Isn't it ironic how he brings the exact same mindset to man, and he says, you'll be like a God. You'll be right like a God. And then we stand back and we watch society and where we're at today and the humanism, and we, you see, it, it, it's working for him. And now we come to the tragedy in verse 6. This is everything within me wants to just scream out and cry and grab her hand. And, but even heaven stood back and watched the woman, saw the tree. I mean, verse 6 was good for food and it was pleasant to the eye. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. And she took of the fruit and she ate. She gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked, they, made, they sewed fig leaves together, made themselves aprons. Then they heard a voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. In the cool of the day, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called Adam, where are you? The tragedy. So, at, so Eve did it. She took out, she ate it. She gave it to her husband. She was deceived. That's usually what deceived people do. They, wanna, they want other people to do it too. And they'll feel good if they cross a line and they get as many people to cross the line with them. That's just life. Satan successfully gnawed away at a clear line. The tragedy was disobedience. The results of the tragedy... Or the disobedience were the very first, first thing is they lost their innocence. They were, they, they, were, they were just kind of like a child, an innocent child, and all of a sudden, guilt. And this was Satan's fulfillment to the promise. Now you'll know good and evil. Well, yeah, I guess they did, and they were guilty. Just like you know when a child is guilty, it just comes all over their face, and they just want to go hide, and everything is clouded. They were guilty. I'm going to suggest that guilt is, is a tool for God and Satan. I think I'm right in that. I'm, it's kind of a new thought for me, but I think it's a tool that God uses and Satan uses it too. Here's how God uses it. God uses guilt to call you back because you're probably not going to come back if you don't feel guilt. 
So God uses guilt to conviction. A guilty person, the minute he turns his mind even towards God, I believe that the Holy Spirit will just be there with conviction. And, and, and they'll, every, everyone else will feel the loving arms of God. But as much of a tool that is for God, if you will, Satan knows how to use it too. And Satan wants to take that guilt and make you ashamed. You want to, you're intentional that nobody finds it out, just like Johnny and the duck. And try as you may, we know from experience, sadly, right? We can't hide. Satan wants guilt to turn to shame, to turn to fear, to turn to hiding. It's exactly what I see in the scripture. Exactly. Shame, fear, hiding. In paradise, mind you. On a tropical vacation, if you will, hiding. There's a story about, this is in, in the lines of guilt. I clipped it out of the Midwest focus. Eli, no, I'm sorry, Eric Schrock wrote a, wrote a thing on guilt. He had a very humorous story that stuck with me. There was a guy in England one time. His name was Noel, Noel Coward. And he just for the fun of it, he, he sent a letter to 10 men. In, in, in London, in the mid-1800s, he sent a letter to 10 influential men, the most important, or very influential London, Londoners. And the letter was simple. We all know what you did, you better skip town. And you know what? The story says all 10 skipped town. <laughs> it's almost funny, but it's not. They were guilty. They were hiding. It was a prank, supposed to be. Guilt, shame, fear. Did you see it? Well, that's the first sin. Sin is a result of being trapped, if you will, or uh, being deceived. Those are the steps. It happens in our minds. Be very careful when you hear a voice. I'm telling you, be very, very careful. Very careful when you hear a voice. Some of us know what the, I don't think nobody, nobody likes me. You know that voice? Ooh, that's a big one. I just don't have it. Excellent children, excellent, excellent story. I just don't have it. Ooh, that's Satan all the way, in and out, through and through. What's wrong with that? Careful with that one. Ooh, be careful. The question is what's right about it. Prove all things, the scripture says. The biggest one you have to watch out for is when it questions authority. If you ever had vibes against your parents against church, even against any kind of established authority. I, I could, we could go through the scripture and talk about submission, the beauty, the beauty of submission. 
And we could, we could look at references, clear references to, for submission and honor to, to so many different level, so many different uh, practical points of authority. And you know why Satan hates it so much? Is because he, that's where he fell. He hates authority. He hates it. Anything that brings a little order to something, he hates it. His agenda is to bring it down. I know there's a ditch on, on, uh, on, on another side of, of uh, authority that is, is, is uh, there are abusive and detrimental authorities, but for the most part, be very careful with, that, with those voices. Rebellious spirits don't just blow in with the wind. They come from this uh, strategy of Satan. And they'll lead to strongholds. They'll lead to allowing Satan to build something in your mind the way you think. And it's a very dangerous process. But there are people that are just in bondage today because they've, they've developed a way of thinking over and over and over and over again. And it's now a stronghold. Str Satan's stronghold. Don't despair. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I like that. There's hope. Oh, if we could just wind the clock back to Genesis 2 and say, Adam, don't you see it? But you know what We all know what happened. We can't change it. And there are things in our lives. There's things in my life. And I wish I could go back. Any, anybody with me? You wish you could go back. But it's there. I can't change it. I did it. I said it. But it, the, only, the only thing that I can do is make sure it does not define who I am. Satan wants to say, that's going to define, that's who you are. No, it's not. Because of the blood. Because of the weapons of our warfare. And they're not carnal. They're the mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Praise the Lord. Lastly, the rescue. We looked at the enemy. We looked at the strategy. We looked at the tragedy, and now it is the rescue. This is so heart-melting. We have the loving Father seeing his son, his daughter, created in perfection, hiding. And Adam, I mean, I'm sorry, God comes into the garden. It used to be a nice chat, but the cool of the day. And here comes Adam, and somebody once told me, You're nobody, nobody's fit to handle the gospel until you say this verse in gentle tones. I like it. If I read this verse with God coming to Adam and saying, Adam, where are you at? I'm not qualified to carry the gospel. Somebody told me that once. You can argue that. I like it. You're qualified to carry the gospel. Will you read that verse? Adam, with a broken heart, where are you? My heart bleeds. Verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 10. Adam says, I heard your voice. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11, God says, here's question number two. Three questions, by the way. Question number one, where are you? Question number two, who told you? That's a big one. In other words, who are you listening to? I talked to you. What happened since? 
told you that you were naked? And then the next question is, Hast, you eaten, hast thou eaten of the tree which I commanded thee that thou should not eat of? And then it goes on to the blame game, and I'm not going to go into that in this message. But I just want to close with a gentle, gentle tone with the three questions that I believe are at the root of the solution to every problem we get ourselves into. The, que- the first question is, where are you? And I want to tell every person in this room, there is no hope for you. There is no hope for me until I'm honest with question number one. God cannot help a person that says, I'm not even here. All God wanted, if only Adam would have said, here's the deal. That's all God wanted. Honesty. Honesty where we're at. Honesty who we're listening to. I'm in the, I shouldn't say the middle of a book. Right now I'm reading a book called Unintentional. I don't know if anybody read that book, but uh, on is in brackets, on intentional by Doug Smith. And he's basically giving the, the uh, tr- he's revealing the truth that people no longer are in control of their own mind. He says, he even says the government isn't even in control. He said the media is. And the whole book is about the screen time. So I know that's a delicate subject, but who are you listening to? That's a big one. What's formulating the thoughts that go through your mind? What comes after God said? In fact, are we even in the what God said? And the third question was so simple. Did you do what I told you not to do? All God wanted was, yes, I did. I did. Here, here's why I'm at. I got caught up into this, and I did this. And then there's hope. I've made many mistakes in child training. But there's one thing that I don't know who told me. I I don't even know who to give credit to. But I was told, in everything your child does, there's consequences. But for dishonesty, the consequences double or even triple. It's been helpful. Because God can never help a dishonest person. Honesty is at the foundation of of the victorious Christian life. I would say it is the the Christian life. So 6,000 years have passed since the God took the stroll, over 6,000 since God took the garden stroll. I'm going to suggest not much change. Same old, same old. Nothing new under the sun. All God wants is honesty. 
So I struggled a little bit in bringing this message for counsel because I'm certainly in no way implying that all of us have just eaten the fruit. But maybe there's somebody that did. And maybe there's somebody that's nibbling. And maybe there's somebody that's scared. And maybe there's somebody that's hiding. So take the council question as an opportunity to just be real. Relationships. As much as lies within you, be at peace with all men. It would be terrible if we would just go through and go through emotions and yep, yep, yes, yes. But really, there's a real struggle with somebody. Use it, use it as an opportunity and a blessing. Just be real. I'm telling you, there's a multitude of people in this room that would just rejoice at the sound of your voice, meet together to pray. If there's somebody that's living with guilt, living with shame, you know, kind of like Johnny in the story. Oh, there's a God in heaven, just outstretched arms, love in his eyes, love in the tone of his voice, calling us all to come. So hopefully as we look, uh, go through those questionnaires, it's not just a formality. Maybe read through Genesis 3. I know we went through really, really uh, quite rapidly. Just be honest. And I hope that when October, what is it, Sunday in October comes where we look forward to sharing in communion, that we could just be blessed. Be blessed together. Sharing and observing what Jesus Christ has done for all of us. And we are all in a battle. Don't let Satan throw you under the bus, even with a message like this. Uh, just, just be real. Be mindful of the Holy Spirit, and God will be glorified. Why don't we all stand together, and I will have a concluding prayer. And if you have a chorus following that, that would be great. Father, we looked into your precious word, and we heard an echo this morning. And right now, again, we say, Lord, please make it personal to every one of us. Thank you for your love and mercy and grace. Bless each person here this morning. And as we dismiss, make us a blessing to, to you, to each other, and even to the entire world, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.